My friends and family members, this is a special day in the life of the church and in our own personal lives as we celebrate Valentine's Day. So happy Valentine's Day, amen? And I, I hope you have your Valentine with you, amen? Uh, today as we uh, pause in the life of the church, you know, Valentine's is that day that we set aside to share expressions of love, expressions of love with our friends, expressions of love with our Valentine's. Oftentimes we share candy and flowers and of course we share cards and sometimes we just share in the beauty of being in each other's face. It's sort of hard for us to think in terms of the true essence of Valentine's Day in the celebration of the life of the church because it has become such a secular celebration that we tend to have forgotten the true reason that Valentine's Day emerged in the life of the church back in 500 AD when the Pope of the Catholic Church created this wonderful day and it was to honor Saint Valentinus. He was a priest during that time and the uh, Roman Emperor Claudius decided that young men would choose to be at home with their spouses instead of choosing to be in his army fighting for him. And therefore, Claudius declared that there will be no more marriages. But priest Valentinus defied the emperor, and he continued to marry because he valued the covenant and sanctity of marriage so much so that he was willing to lay down his life for the sanctity, the holiness, as he saw the covenant relationship between man and woman and God. He committed his life to that. And when the emperor learned of it, the priest was killed on February the 14th. And that's why we have this day, to honor St. Valentinus and to remind ourselves that our marriages are gifts from God and that they are empowered by God's grace, God's love, and God's mercy. So as we set out on this day, we thank God for the martyr. Because of his martyrdom, we are reminded that the covenants that we take ought to mean something to us and to our God. So centuries of history, are lost when we forget those who have sacrificed for the privilege that we take for granted. So we want to reclaim a bit of his story by remembering that all of life, whether married or single, is to be lived in holiness before our God. All of life, no matter what one's marital status is, all of life is to be lived in the wonderful covenant of knowing that God has given us this gift. Today is also a special day in the life of the church because it reminds us of the transfiguration of our Lord and so much like uh, Valentine's Day, the meaning of the transfiguration of Christ has somewhat been lost to history. 
you will notice in the midst of faith communities that most of us will take time to celebrate the four weeks heading up to Christmas. We call that Advent. We will even pause and beginning with Ash Wednesday, we'll celebrate the six weeks, we call it Lent, leading up to Easter. But the transfiguration that happens in the between time tends to get lost or looked over or left behind because it happens between the two major ones for us, Christmas and Easter. So today we hope to rediscover the importance of the transfiguration in the life of the church for us today. And as we hear it through our scripture, we will be reminded that Jesus, in the transfiguration for the first time, chooses to entrust a few, three, a few of his followers with an experience that can only be explained as the liminal space between heaven and earth. It is a moment of holy revelation that has both earthly and heavenly impact. So let's prepare our hearts and our ears to hear a word from God today. Spirit of the living God, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to believe the great truth that your word offers to us today so that we may be transformed. May it be so in Jesus' name. Amen. So our text this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark. And we're in the ninth chapter, beginning with the second verse. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, then when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had been risen from the dead. This is the word of God. For the people of God. Thanks be to our God. If you had an opportunity to read my e-note this week, you would note that I posed the question, how do we not succumb to the very real power that anxiety and fear seek to have over our lives when we are experiencing life in the in-between space? 
that liminal space where it is clear to us that yesterday is now but a memory. There is no clear vision of what tomorrow will be like. And you and I are here sharing in this moment, dangling between what was and what is to come. It's that moment called present. <laughs> this is what we have. Capture, if you will, for a moment, the scene on the mountain of transfiguration. Now, I got to tell you, I, I've asked myself the question that nobody has answered for me. Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and I just want to know where was Andrew? I just want to know. I got a feeling that scripture gives me a hint, but where was Andrew? Someone had to be left behind who had been with Jesus from the beginning to be with the other disciple. So I, I think that Andrew has probably been a shepherd to the others who came along after the original four. What we know is that Peter, James, and John have all grown in their relationship with each other and as disciples of Jesus. Their acceptance of Jesus' invitation to come and follow him was somewhat, somewhat like a marriage. There is a reason for a honeymoon period to follow the public display of a wedding where the service of holy matrimony evolves into a three-way covenant between the bride, the groom, and God. The wedding lasts a few minutes. The reception lasts a few hours. The honeymoon lasts a few weeks, a few months, and if you're blessed, maybe a whole year. But when two people have put God in the center of their lives, they're more willing to put God in the center of their marriage, and the marriage is designed to last a lifetime when God is in the center. Yeah, so here we have this these disciples, they are responding to the call from Jesus to come and follow them. Now, their decision appears to be to, to have been a momentary decision. Jesus called, and they left all that they had, and they followed Jesus. Their honeymoon period is much like you get on your first job, you know, when you first walk in. Their honeymoon period involved observing Jesus, silencing demons, and setting souls free. During their honeymoon phase, they were as giddy as brides and grooms because everything that happened made them happy. The disciples witnessed Jesus healing Peter's mother No. And then they witnessed a whole village of people coming to Peter's house, and Jesus healed them. And for those who had unclean spirits, he cast out the unclean spirits. And then they saw Jesus do something that no respectful Jew would have done. They saw Jesus stretch out his hand and touch a man with leprosy. And the man was made clean. The man was healed. Oh, what a beautiful honeymoon season they were having. Just like our wedding honeymoons, it was exhilarating and filled with passion. But how many of you know that honeymoons are not designed to last 
forever. Sooner or later, the honeymoon has to morph. It has to change. Uh, it has to morph so that it can deal with the ebb and flow of what we call real life. It has to morph into something which uh, becomes for both the bride and the groom are the new disciples in this case. It has to morph into something that becomes a new normal. We have to move on to the next phase, laying a foundation for a shared future. The giddy and the silly, everything is right with the world, does not have to disappear, but it does have to evolve into something stronger that can withstand the challenges that life will throw at us. For the disciples, this honeymoon morphed. If you're reading the, chapter, uh, the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus was rejected by the people in his own hometown of Nazareth, the honeymoon is over. Before that moment, the followers of Jesus had only known the blessing side of being a disciple. They only had the experience of giddy, happy, and amazement at what Jesus could do. They were happy just to follow in the dust of their rabbi. They were happy just to be associated with the fame of Jesus. But remember, Honeymoons are not designed to last forever. When the rejection of Jesus, with the rejection of Jesus, the disciples from that point on will still bear witness to Jesus doing some amazing miracles. However, now they are going to have to make a little transformation and not just be caught up in the blessing of the relationship, they're going to have to learn, as we have to learn, how to carry the cross of our blessings. <laughs> how to carry the cross and the burden of being chosen by God as one of his disciples. It can't all be blessing. There are burdens that must be carried. So this morning's text happened. The Bible began by introducing it saying six days after. So something had happened. Six days after Jesus had shared with his disciples that he was going to under, undergo great suffering. He had to tell these giddy, loving, happy disciples the reality of why he came. So he began by telling them, he said, I'm going to suffer. And then I'm going to be rejected, not just by those people that you met in Nazareth. I'm going to be rejected by the chief priests, the elders, the scribes. And now they know the honeymoon is over when he says, I'm going to be killed. And after three days, I will rise again. My friends, the disciples were not prepared to hear what Jesus had to say. I mean, you got to think of it from their standpoint. Can you imagine 
the sidebar conversations that must have emerged as they listened to Jesus talk about suffering and death. If they're like us, they say, wait a minute, we didn't sign up for that. <laughs> Understand that by the time Jesus is talking about his own suffering and his own death, John the Baptist has already been beheaded. They've already witnessed the anxiety caused in the lives of the disciples who were following John the Baptist. So they know what it can be like. They know the chaos that comes when the leader is gone. Now look, it looks like we've walked away from our lucrative businesses. We've asked our families to sacrifice. And for what? Now he tells us that he too is going to die. After that, the Bible says six days later, he took Peter, James, and John, and he led them up a high mountain because they want us to know that Jesus separated them for everything that was comfortable and familiar and even their beloved Andrew. And the Bible says that he was transfigured before them, and that his clothes was dazzling white, so much so that there could be no mistaking that the change was not from earth, for it was something that they had never witnessed before. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is immersing his followers, those who will become the leaders of his mission, his movement, and his church. He is immersing them in this liminal experience somewhere between heaven and earth upon a high mountain, separated from all that is earthly, but not quite heavenly. And there they will see the prophet Elijah. There they will see Moses who represents the law. They will see the prophet, the law, and the giver of grace. Having an intimate conversation. And as was his custom, Peter would interrupt this holy conversation and interject an earthbound request. Jesus, it is good for us to be here. See, we're the elite in that moment. It is good for us to have been separated from everybody else. It is good for us to have been here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And just as Peter had attempted to bring the transfiguration down to an earthly context, the clouds overcame them, and the voice of God spoke, basically telling Peter, shut up, Peter, this is my son. This is my son, the beloved. You need to shut up and listen, dude. Oh, you talk too much, Peter. This is not about earthly tabernacles. Be quiet and listen to my son. And then very quickly, everything returned to an earthly context. Can I just share with you that any time we encounter the blessed side of following Jesus, we in our humanness, we tend to want to own the moment. 
Uh, we want to relive the moment. We want to keep that moment going. Whatever our high holy moments are, we want to hold on to them. We want to own them as just for us. There is something about the limitations of our humanity that causes us to want to stay on the mountaintops of our faith, even though in our hearts we know that mountaintop experiences are gifts. They are gifts that must be cherished, yes, even if we do not understand our mountaintop implications. Here's the good news. They are gifts given to us, moments of clarity. I'm exactly what God wants me to be, and I'm doing exactly what God wants me to be doing, and God is with me in this moment. Peter, James, and John, here they are. They did not understand the transfiguration of Jesus at the time, but they would come to learn that mountaintop experiences are given to us so that we can endure, survive, and even sometimes thrive in the valley of real life. It's sort of like a honeymoon. Honeymoons are given to us so we have a forever memory of why we chose each other. So when times get hard, we can go back and remember, oh, I chose you. Nobody made me choose you. I knew your frailties when I married you. I didn't have the expectation. We need memories. And so the Mount of Transfiguration, it is a forever memory given to those who are going to have a tough time with real life. On the mountaintop, from our perspective, Jesus was transformed. Jesus was changed. But from God's perspective, Jesus was not changed. He simply revealed who he was. He revealed before Peter, James, and John the true nature of his full divinity. Peter, James, and John, they were transformed on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, the time between the Jesus on the mountain and the Jesus in the valley, the Jesus who will carry the cross, somewhere between all of that, Peter, James, and John, and the others of the 12 will be transformed from being mere followers, disciples of Jesus, to becoming apostles. You see, their relationship is going to be forever changed. They will become the keepers, the casters, the vision casters of the church. No doubt about it. When they encountered the divinity of Jesus on the mountain, they were frightened. As a matter of fact, the Bible says they were terrified. They didn't know what to say. And my friends, today, you and I, we are occupying this liminal space between what used to be and what is going to be. And Jesus is calling us to step into the abyss. So get this vision, you're hanging, you're suspended in this place called now, present. And like Peter, James, and John, we share an experience of Jesus that many in the world have never known. And like them, Peter, James, and John, we are now in the valley of what you call real life.
And we are challenged to find ways to speak to the world, to show the world the uncompromising but encompassing love, grace, and mercy of our Savior. We are God's best option to show the world about the love, life, and the wonderful resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our job is to be the disciples of this moment so that new generations can come to know Jesus as Lord, Savior, Redeemer, and friend. The Bible tells us that as they came down from the mountain, they took up their cross. They still experienced doubt. They still had moments of fear. They still had to deal with anxiety. Even so, my sisters and brothers, hear this. They are the reasons that we're here today. With all of their limitations, with all of their humanness, they remained faithful. They carried their cross. And today we're being asked to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. And I want to share with you, if we faithfully carry our cross, in this moment, the moment of unknown, we too will experience glimpses of his divinity. And one day, we will be changed and we will share in the fullness of his glory. May it be so for you and for me. In Jesus' name, amen.